Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. I can have all of God I want. Now, here's the thing. The more I have for God, the more of God I have, I still want more. So I am satisfied, but when I decide that it's so wonderful serving God, I just want more. So it's a kind of a, an oxymoron. I am filled, but that filling makes me to want to have more. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Chinese food. You, you're filled at that buffet. Two hours later, you want to go back to the buffet again. It's ready. You want more of God. That's the way it works. Each of us as Christians can experience times that are often referred to as dry periods. This is a time in our life where we either feel distant from God or that our growth has become rather stagnant. In today's edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will encourage us with ways in which we can avoid these seasons. In our study, we'll learn that the more we strive to hunger for God, the less we'll want to live a life outside of that relationship. Pastor Mark will also teach us that the best way to get out of a dry season is to simply ask God to fill our lives more abundantly. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6, with his continuing study entitled, Get Ready to be Blessed. Lord, let us hear your lessons for I've told you many times, I'm not weird, and I hunger and thirst for God. You say, well, I'm not, the, the jury's still out. Oh, hush up. I'm not weird. So here's the next thing I want you to write. It's a key principle. It should be in the front of your Bible. The number one secret to spiritual success is living with a healthy spiritual appetite. If that's the number one thing that you're striving for this morning you will be successful in your walk with God. If you're striving for something else, it'll never work. You say, well, I want a happy marriage. If you're not striving for God first, you will not have the marriage that God designed. Never. So wherever you're at in your walk, young, old, middle-aged, doesn't matter. That has to be the driving force. So ask yourself this morning, do you have that desire to grow spiritually? Do you want to have a spiritual appetite that's healthy? I'm going to tell you this morning how you get to that. And how it works in our life. Now, speaking about spiritual appetites, in our newspapers today, we have all these pyramids now, new health pyramids. You know, it used to be grains and this and that and the other and low fat and now it's all. We got all these new pyramids telling us how to be healthy. Sometimes we don't, we don't understand our world. I'm going to take probably seven or eight minutes. I'm going to go through this quick. But I want your attention. You need to understand the world we live in. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the United States this morning. There's a man named George Barna for many years who is, every year does a survey spiritually of our world. 
Well, I can't be really useful in the world unless I understand what the world's thinking, what it's like. So I'm going to show you this morning the latest survey. just came out, and I'm going to show you some things in there. We begin. He categorizes people not by born-again, evangelical, atheist, and notional Christians, but he defines what they are and then puts them into these categories. So in the United States, just finished the survey, 40% of the people say they're born again. Now, they don't check a born-again box. They check a box that says this. Listen, I've made a personal commitment to Christ Jesus that's still important in my life today. I also believe that after I die, I will go to heaven because I've confessed my sins and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. 40% of the people in the United States said, yet that's who I am. That means Barna calls him, just his definition, born again. Now, there's a subset of that. The subset are called evangelicals. They believe the very same thing the born-again people believe, but seven other key principles that he lists. Now, you might say in this service this morning, uh, what is an evangelical? Well, I'm going to show you. And by the way, this is an evangelical church. So you didn't know it, but you're becoming one. What is an evangelical? Not in the sense of, you know, radical guys. I'm not talking politically this morning. Don't go there. I'm talking spiritually. Now, here's a very important key. In the United States, out of every 100 people, how many are evangelicals? Tell me. Seven. In your neighborhood, of 100 people in your neighborhood, seven are evangelicals. Now, Jesus is teaching, listen very closely. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. What's his goal when he's done with the Sermon on the Mount? Which category will they fit in? Evangelical. When he's done with the Sermon on the Mount, he wants every one of those people to be in the evangelical realm. How many in the United States are? Seven out of every 100. Are we hurting? Let me read you the seven principles that define a person from born again down to this subset of evangelical. They contend that they have a personal responsibility to share their beliefs uh, about Christ with non-Christians. Now, let me explain something to you. Got your thinking cap on? If you're in the born-again group and you're not in the evangelical group, that means that some of these six or seven things that I'm going to say, you don't believe are right. So you couldn't be put in evangelical. Evangelical has to believe all of these. So that means some people who call themselves born again have been saved by God. Here's their mentality. I don't have a responsibility to share the good news of the gospel with non-Christians. That's up to them. They can have their own religion. I don't really need to share with them. What? What is the great commandment about? Go into all the world and preach? Nothing. No, preach the gospel. This is shocking, isn't it? Here's the next one. Out of this subgroup of people that defines, of course, the non-believers aren't going to believe this, so we're only talking about the difference between the born-again people and the evangelicals. Second, many of these born-again people do not believe that Satan exists. They're born again, they go to church, but a subset of these people say, Satan? Oh, he's a figment. He's not a real person. What? Number three, they maintain that eternal salvation is possible only through grace, this is an evangelical, and that good works and good deeds don't have anything to do with the initial salvation. That's very true. See what happens, the born-again people kind of want to mix this. Well, if I go to church and I read the Bible, then I'm a Christian. No. No. 
Somebody just said to me recently, well, I was baptized as a baby. I'm a Christian. No. No. You have to be baptized as an adult. And baptism isn't even what it makes. It's a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. And you can't earn your way. If it was, Jesus Christ couldn't come. Next. Many of these people who are born again, I can't define for you whether they're going to heaven or not. That's up to God. Many of these people that are born again say this. Some of them disagree that Christ lived a sinless life on the earth. A born-again person said, some of these people, maybe here in this church, say, oh, I believe Jesus Christ sinned. Really? What you're going to find is, the difference between the evangelicals and the born-again people is this. How can you believe that Jesus Christ sinned when the Bible says he had no sin? It's not like a question. It's not like I'll take A, B, and C, and D. You say, well, these aren't important. They're not important? If a person had sin, Jesus, how did he die for you? If he did, it was useless. And we're all going to hell. The same bit of real estate that Hilder had. Is it important? It's critical. Listen to this. Saying that the Bible is totally accurate in all it teaches. So many of the people in the born again area say, well, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, but I don't believe in all the Bible. I don't really believe it is everything that God wants us to know. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, the last one is this. They describe God as all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect deity who created the universe and still rules today. So all of those seven things, evangelicals, we believe. I'm so glad I can say to you this morning, I don't question whether God rules this world today. He's still in control. Now, I'm glad he is, and I'm not. So you say when you get through with that, well, what happens next? Well, let's go up to 100. We can't, you don't go all the way to 100 because there's some people that wouldn't answer any of them. We have atheists, agnostics, and non-Christian faith groups. What is non-Christian faith groups? That would be people in uh, Muslim and Hindu and, and Jehovah's Witness and Mormon. Okay? In our country, 21% of the people fall into that group. 21 out of every 100. Now look at the last group. This is a challenge to us. 39% are notional Christians. What does that mean? Well, that means... They consider themselves to be Christian, but they're not born again. They go to church, but they never ask Jesus Christ into their heart, but they still call themselves, by their definition, a Christian. Now, here's the shocking thing. Listen to it very closely. Listen. For more than a decade, the sizes of the born again, the 40, the evangelical, the 7, and the notional segments, the 39, have been roughly the same. There's been no change in 47 and 39 in 10 years. You say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. 10 years ago, we weren't even like a church here. Like there was two or 300 people. Now we're thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, but we're talking the United States. You see, that's why I wanted to give it to you this morning. We had 100 and some people baptized yesterday. Wonderful. We are doing good. But the world is not changing. Does that mean we have any work left? <laughs> See, in my neighborhood are good people. They're in church this morning. But they don't believe Satan exists. What? They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe we should be sharing. They would be aghast at me saying to you, we need to invite people to our men's conference. You need to be here next week to hear the word of God. We need people to get saved. Well, leave them alone. Leave them find their own way to God. Well, how did you find your way to God? Somebody showed you. So I give this to you this morning to challenge you. Because as you look at this, it shows us the climate of the United States. Now, I'm not discouraged. It just shows me as I look at that, wow, 
There's a tremendous amount of energy and work that needs to be done. Now, who are those that are going to do it? The only person that's going to make any difference, remember this beatitude, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Follow me really quickly on this. That means that about, and I'm I'm going to make an assumption, 40% of those people who may be going to heaven have no desire for a passion for God. The only people that I see that fit into filling this beatitude are the evangelicals. Now think about this for a moment. Listen to me very closely. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, more of God, going for it, sharing, knowing the Bible, know God's in control. They will be filled. They'll be blessed. So if you look at that list, how many people have a total peace and are blessed by God? 7%. And here's the major problem. See the 40%? The 40% aren't too much different from the 39%. And so they're confused as to what even a born-again person is. This person says, well, are you born again? Well, sure, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. What, do you believe the Bible? No, I don't believe the Bible. I'm born again, though. And so the nominal person goes, that's exactly how I believe. Hey, how are you? What? There's no hungering and thirsting for God. You see, we don't have to be radical here. We just have to be biblical. And so Jesus is speaking to these people, and he's challenging them. By the way, this isn't new. And I'll throw the verse up here, and I won't read it this morning because of time. 2,000 years ago, Paul had to write to the church. You can just write it down, Hebrews chapter 5. Paul had to write to the church, and he said to them basically this. You've been Christians a long time. But you're babies. Nothing's happening. You're not growing. You're not maturing. And he says, you have to go back to the fundamentals again. And all he tries to say to these people is simply this. You're not growing. There's no goal for excellence. You're just mediocre in your walk. And and Paul says to him, wake up. I'm challenging you to change. Well, what about here at Calvary Chapel? Would Paul write that letter to us this morning? No. I have to say, here, most of us in this church are doing incredibly great. You have an appetite for the things of God. You are praying. You are studying God's word. You are reading. You are serving. You are growing in your intimacy with God. You're doing awesome, and I congratulate you. As we continue to do that and have that desire for God, he will make this church have a greater impact. Not in numbers. That comes when God decides. But an impact in this community when people see us and we're blessed and we're fulfilled and good things are happening in our life, even though we're going through trials, we have this overall sense of well-being. They're going to say, why? It's because the Word of God is alive in us. And I congratulate you this morning. Maybe here as a Christian, you're kind of down and you're depressed and you've gone through a dry period. By the way, anybody here and ever go through a dry period? Anybody? Good. The rest of you are lying and you're in one right now. <laughs> I want to show you something that will encourage you. Look at this next statement. We can have as much of God as we really want. So maybe you're discouraged or depressed this morning, and when you open the Bible, not much happens. Just tomorrow morning, say, God, I want more of you. He'll honor it. Don't stay in the dry period. You can have all of God, all of God, that you want. Every bit. Now, The promise is that I will be filled. What does the word filled mean? You're going to like the word. It means to fatten, to fill, to stuff. So 
I can have all, you know, that pizza that comes down with the cheese and the crust, just dust in there. I can have all of God I want. Now, here's the thing. The more I have for God, the more of God I have, I still want more. So I am satisfied, but when I decide that it's so wonderful serving God, I just want more. So it's a kind of a, an oxymoron. I am filled, but that filling makes me to want to have more. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Chinese food. You, you're filled at that buffet. Two hours later, you want to go back to the buffet again. It's ready. You want more of God. That's the way it works. Now, let me give you three keys this morning. This will be your end. Number one, how do I hunger and thirst for God? Our spiritual hunger is filled by reading, studying, and obeying the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babes, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. So if I'm in the Word of God like we are here, and you are, and we're studying, reading, obeying the Word of God, that is filling me with God. Number two, our spiritual hunger is filled by doing the will of God. As I serve God, as I obey Him, not by being pulled with a bit in a rain, but simply obeying Him. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And number three, our spiritual hunger is filled by cultivating our intimate relationship with God. You see, even though I get satisfied, this built-in cycle of growth ensures I become more and more and more like Jesus. Now, let me talk about that intimacy for a moment. Intimate relationship with God. I want to show you a little picture and, and talk about something and take me two or three minutes and then we're through this morning. When we were in Buenos Aires, every morning we went out, and what they do for breakfast over there is you get this coffee con leche, and then you get the three metalunis, they call them, or whatever. I don't know how my Spanish is, probably terrible, but I, don't know, I enjoyed them anyway. Uh, like toast, or you can have grape croissants and whatever, and some jelly and whatever. You get all those three things in your coffee con leche and orange juice for a buck. Unbelievable. Well, we enjoyed that, but later in the day, I watched as we walked through all of Buenos Aires, we walked forever. Took cabs and things like that. Very reasonable. Wonderful place to visit. Clean. You can eat all the food. Well, I watched. I, I came across a lot of places that were little cafes. People go in and sit down like this at the cafe. Two or three people. They're friends. And the order of these little, I don't know what was in that cup, but that bottom looked like it was going to rust out, man. That had to be strong stuff. And that, that was their little coffee. And they'd sit there with nothing else. 20, 30 minutes. And just talk. Just talk. They were developing friendships and relationships. They weren't in a hurry. After they got done, they went back to work, did all this stuff. But they, they took time to just share that. And I thought, you know what we do in the United States? We drive up to a drive through get a big gulp like this, <laughs> and drive home by ourselves. And it challenged me. Sometimes we miss out on what real life is about. I want to encourage you today, two ways. One, in a practical way. Make sure you're making friends here in this building. Get you a cup of coffee here, or later, out somewhere else. It doesn't have to be here. Invite some people over to your house. Develop some intimacy. Go out with your friends, husband and wife. Spend time. Life goes so quick, and we're gulping at it. We should be savoring life. Second, 
Spiritual hunger and thirst really comes from spending time with God alone. I want to challenge you tomorrow morning. Get you a little coffee con leche or hot tea, whatever you like. Just sit down like this with God, with your Bible, and let him speak to you. You see, that's where hunger and thirst is filled. Well, here, God, I'm going to do my devotions while I drive. I got the cell phone and the answer, and the guys are right over there. I really enjoyed things. God, it was great talking to you today. (laughs) Now we laugh because we're guilty. All of us. But see, we need to just stop and let God speak to us. I'm going to give you the last three things to write, and we're through. Here they are. It summarizes what we learned this morning. What's our godly attitude going to be like? Well, our godly attitude, for those that hunger and thirst, it's a desire to know God and to be more like Him. It's a desire to know Him and be more like Him. Now, what's the world say? Well, the world says, forget God. You pursue stuff. More buildings, more apartments, more land, bigger job, higher promotion, greater education. Nothing wrong with any of those things. You pursue that, that'll, that'll bring you satisfaction. Not a chance. Not a chance. It's all false. It's all empty. You'll never be filled. Solomon proved it. Well, if I do pursue God, as you guys are doing, what does that get me? It's satisfying and fulfilling life. And I'm growing spiritually. I never arrive. That's that cycle. The more I have a God, the more I need to know Him. You know, I've been teaching now for more than 40 years. I'm still learning. I want to know more and more and more of God. This week, I plan to do three of the Beatitudes until the Barna survey came in. And God just spoke to me one morning and said, Nope, you need to tell the people what's the temperature, the spiritual temperature of our city and our world. I hope that helped you this morning to see where we're at. We have a lot to do, and God wants us to do it. Maybe this morning, answer this question for me. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ right now? Have you ever turned your life over to him? Have you ever said, come in, forgive me of my sins. I want to learn about you, I want to become like you. I want you to change my marriage, my life, my education, my background. I God, I just need you. If you've never done it, every road that you will go is another dead end. You see, that hole in my heart can only be filled with a relationship with God. You see, you'll never find fulfillment. Never, unless you turn your life to God. Don't be a horse, be trainable. Be humble. You say, well, that's pretty humbling walking up there. Yep. It's pretty humbling for Jesus to die on the cross naked for you and me too. He did it for you because he loves you. Today in our study of the Beatitudes, Pastor Mark reflected on what's often referred to as a dry season. This is a time where we either feel distant from God or we're lacking in growth as Christians. In today's message, Pastor Mark taught us how to go from dry to growing in our relationship by leaps and bounds. We learned that by asking God to fill more of our lives, He's faithful to honor our request. Maybe you're listening right now and God has placed a certain person on your heart that needs to hear this message. Or maybe you'd like to share it with all of your friends. 
there's a simple way to share this message. Log on to Lessons for Living Radio and click on the radio program option in the main menu. There, you'll find the Lessons for Living media player. In the Messages tab, simply click on today's date. Then you can share today's message directly on your Facebook page, Twitter feed, or send a link via email. You can even embed today's message directly. Again, to share today's message with friends and family members, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Click on the radio program button, then simply click on today's date. You'll find all the options to share. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will continue with us in our study of the Beatitudes while reflecting on the mercy of God. Pastor Mark will teach us that just as we've been shown mercy from God, we ought to show mercy to others as well. In our study, we also learned that by our accepting God's mercy through the work on the cross, we should desire to live a life of servitude and compassion towards others. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. in a hurry.